I'm not on. There we go. Hey, welcome to worship this morning at Central Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here. It's good to be together. And as uh, we t- um, at nine o'clock, we gather our choir members and uh, some of our band members, our nursery workers, which we're taking the Lord's Supper together uh, today in our service. And at nine o'clock, we gather together and we they kind of take of the Lord's Supper together with me. And uh, one of the things that I reminded them of this morning is, you know, this is family. And so every Sunday is a family gathering. We get to come back together and see each other, to interact with each other, love on each other, encourage each other, speak the Lord into each other's lives and his word into each other's life. And we get to share a fellowship meal this morning that reminds us of the reason why we are here. We are not here apart from the blood and the body of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our sins. And so this morning, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to welcome those of you who are new with us here at Central to our church family this morning. If you're not part of our church family, we want to welcome you in. Uh, maybe you haven't been in a while, we welcome you back. Um, this morning, right in front of you, there's a little card, a guest information card. You can take that in the, during the service today and fill that out and drop that in one of the boxes by the doorways as you leave today, or you can just give it to me at the end of the service. That's, that's okay as well. But we'd love to just follow up with you, minister to you, pray over you, uh, join in praying with you over a particular matter that you've been praying for in your life. Um, so we'd love to uh, just to connect with you again. Um, but we are taking the Lord's Supper this morning. I think, you know, the scriptures teach us that when we come to this table, you know, a lot of religions fall prey to religious activity. If we're not careful, we can do the same. We just kind of go through the motions of the Lord's Supper. The fact of the matter is this is no ritual. This is something that Lord Jesus Christ wanted us to be always mindful of because we have so many voices, so many influences in our lives, no matter what age you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, whether you're a man or a woman, child or a teenager, so many voices speaking into our life. During this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. Um, But before we do that, what I want to encourage you to do is just spend some time with the Lord, talking to Him. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth that they were to examine themselves, to examine their hearts. So it's a time before we even come to this table to maybe talk to the Lord about some areas of sin in your life. Maybe you ask Him, maybe confess that, repent of that this morning. But you know, when we come to this table, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a very much an evangelistic exercise as well. So for those of you in the room that are not followers of Jesus Christ yet, we want to ask you not to take the Lord's Supper with us. If you are a follower of Jesus, of course, we welcome you to the table. Um, but if you're not a believer yet, what I want to encourage you to do is watch, observe, listen. And we just pray that God would speak into your life, that you would embrace him as Savior and Lord this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to stand and continue to sing and worship, but in just a few moments, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the time that we have this morning to gather again today. We are thankful, Lord, for our church family. We thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here in this room. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you have knit our hearts by way of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made that possible because of your sacrifice that was laid down for us. Your body and your, your blood was shed for us. We're grateful for that. Lord, we want to make much of you in this service. So as we remember you, and we remember your sacrifice, we pray that you'd speak into our lives, speak into our hearts. We pray for the lost in the room, that they would be saved. 
that you would open their hearts and their minds, Lord, to help them see their need for you, Jesus. That, Lord, you are worthy. You are worth it, worth giving their lives over to. Lord, there is a better way. And, God, we have found that way for most of us in this room. We, Lord, give this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.
As we continue to worship, I invite you all to take a seat for just a moment as we prepare our hearts and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper together.
this morning, I'll share with you the passage that I read uh, when <clears throat> our smaller gathering gathered together. Uh, this morning, it comes from Romans chapter 5, very important passage for us, <clears throat> excuse me, to remember. The Apostle Paul writes, of course, the book of Romans to a church, and he says this to them. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Here's what God did. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen to this last verse. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Powerful passage in light of what we're, what we're doing this morning. I want to encourage you to separate your cups into two. We're going to take the bread first. And uh, let's remember this morning the body that was broken for us on the cross. Let's take together. Father, as we take this bread, we thank you so much for the suffering that you went through, the agony that you went through, the brokenness of your body, all this you did for us. Father, we cannot thank you enough. We only try by trying to do better, and we ask that you guide us always to remember what you've done and to remember that you taught us to love. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, as we take the cup this morning, we're reminded that this little cup of juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And it is love on the cross for our sins this morning. So no matter where you've been, what you've experienced in your life, no matter how many sins you've committed over the course of those years, if you follow Jesus Christ with your Savior and Lord, those sins have been nailed to the cross because of the blood that was shed for us on the cross. Let's take this morning and remember the blood of Jesus. Our Father in heaven, you are our holy God. We praise you and we honor you. And as you have commanded, Father, we come together and we remember the covenant of the blood. We remember the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross in atonement for our sins, Father. And oh, we can never repay you at this time, we honor you and we praise you, Father, and we give thanks for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, men. Let's stand as we continue to worship.
because of you, God, and that we would be a people who are marked by our obedience and our following you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. I hate when I turn myself off and I think I'm on. You like that, right? This morning, as you can see above my heads, you know, we have been in a season this past weekend remembering our veterans. Um, One of the things that I want to um, doing our service this morning is just have a word of prayer over our veterans. Thank the Lord for you, those of you in the room that have served, but for the many who have served across our country. If you are a veteran served in any of our uh, service um, 
services, I want you to stand up. We just want to acknowledge you and thank the Lord for you. And any, yeah, we've got a few. That's good. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. I want to read just from um, um, the book of uh, the, the gospel of John chapter 13. You know, serving, regardless of what in what capacity, is part of one of the character traits that we gain from Christ and that we remember from Christ. In fact, in the upper room, as we're talking about that this morning, Jesus you remember, got down on his hands and knees and he washed the disciples' feet. And at the end of that, um, this is what he says to his disciples. When he had finished or when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do, not, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, then blessed are you if you do them. We honor you, those of you who have served our nation, and those who are well outside of this room who have served our nation. And I've asked uh, Randy Nelson this morning, who is one of our veterans here, just to lead us in a word of prayer um, and uh, pray over our veterans this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can gather. Lord, we thank you that we can be here and we know that it's because of the sacrifice of men and women uh, throughout the history of our nation that makes it possible for us to do this. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for their sacrifice, Lord. And uh, we pray that we as a nation would live to uh, honor uh, the sacrifice that they've made, that the sacrifice would not be in vain, Lord. So be with us as a nation that we would live up to that. Lord, I do pray for those who are still making that sacrifice even today all over the world. Lord, be with them, comfort them, be with their families. Lord, as they are missed and, and as they are separated, Lord, bring them back safely. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 once again this morning. Um, what a powerful passage of Scripture we've come to this morning. It's a great chapter. Um, we started and walked through the first part of chapter 2 last week, and we're going to look at the second half of chapter 2 this week, or second part of chapter 2, rather, this week. You know, in my parents' home, um, like many of your homes, not all of your homes, because if you're younger in the room, you will not know maybe probably what I'm talking about. But those of you in the room who have cedar chests, raise your hand. Look at the room. Okay, those of you who are younger than me are going, what is a cedar chest? Because you have no idea what I'm talking about. But in my parents' home, there is a cedar chest. We actually have one as well. They have their historical significance to them. And there is a lot of history behind why we have what are, what are known as cedar chests. My parents' home, there was a cedar chest. It was a chest that was given um, from my grandfather to my grandmother on their wedding day. It was a big deal back in those days especially. But inside of that cedar chest, it's really fascinating. We have um, several things from the World War II 
Two era. Uh, my grandfather fought in that theater, in the Pacific Theater, back in the days of World War II in the 1940s. Um, but while he was away, there was no such thing as smartphones. There were no such things as emails or text messages. I know that's hard for those of you who are younger to understand. No social media. What do you mean? How in the world did you actually communicate? I'll tell you how you communicated. You communicated through letters. And you got the old-fashioned paper out, and you got a pencil or a pen out, and you wrote a letter. And you mailed that letter. And sometimes it would take months if you were overseas, especially in war times, to get to that person, uh, get to its destination. We have in that cedar chest all of the letters, the correspondence between my grandfather and my grandmother all throughout World War II. We have uh, in that cedar chest correspondence from one of my great uncles who was a prisoner of war in North Africa under German occupation then, uh, and all of those correspondence on all of those pieces of paper sent back. It's really fascinating to see. Why are letters important? Well, letters convey messages, right? Letters contain uh, a narrative, if you will. Letters contain specific words with specific messages. When you look at this letter, and when you read the letter of Paul to the church in Philippi, there's all kinds of important messages. There is an important overarching message that Paul is trying to convey to this church. We look at chapter 1, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 27. This is the overarching, if you will, message that Paul is trying to convey to this church. And he says this, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. That's the overarching message, if you will, to the church in Philippi. It's God's overarching message to us. As we read it and as we internalize it, as we memorize it, as we begin to obey it and apply it to our lives as individuals, our lives collectively as a church. That central message there is then backed up again in beginning of chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We looked at this a week ago. Look at it in your Bibles. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being uh, uh, the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He speaks of unity there. The key in all of this is the mind. The mind in which, the approach in which we come to not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other. Church is not just a box in which you check spiritually on a Sunday morning. You don't just check that box and go about your day and go about your week. It is the primary thing about our lives, this family, the spiritual family. Because not only how in which we approach one another, it's how in which we've approached God first, and then how we look and view one another. It drives this love, this this spirit of God that lives inside of us, drives how we interact with each other, how we pray together, how we evangelize together, how we approach the word of God together, how we see our purpose as a church together. We do things together. We march forward together, carrying out this mission that Christ has given to us, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. 
we do this together. We do this work together. But the key has always been the mind, the heart, the mindset in which we approach each other, which is why Paul goes to that next in chapter 2. Look at your Bibles with me again. Beginning in verse 5, our text is verses 5 through 11. And if you're there with me, say amen so I know you're there. All right, good. You got your Bibles open. That's awesome. Okay, so chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, says this. Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are coming near to this season called the holiday season, aren't we? You ever notice how the holiday season brings out the best in us? Sometimes brings out the worst in us, doesn't it? It's how it is sometimes in the church. When we come together, when we get together, when we try to do ministry together, sometimes it brings out the best in us, sometimes it brings sometimes the worst in us out. The heart of Paul's message here has been very clearly at the beginning of chapter 2 that humility or unity comes when we replace pride with humility. We saw that last week, these first four verses of chapter 2. Unity comes when we replace, intentionally replace pride with humility. There's an intentional aspect of verse 2 of chapter 2. In other words, he says, do this. He doesn't say, hey, y'all dance around this for a while for a few years. No, do this. And he's not talking, he's talking collectively as a church, but he's also talking to individuals because we have to individually come to that place first and foremost in our heart. And then as we are doing that individually, collectively, corporately, God is doing the supernatural work among us. But here's the thing. Humility is found in Jesus You don't manufacture humility. You can't find humility in our culture today. You cannot find humility in the world today. You cannot buy it at Walmart. You cannot get it at HEB. Humility is found in Jesus Christ, so we are to adopt the mindset of Jesus, the mindset of Christ. And that's Paul's point here as we look at this text and unpack it together. We see when God looks at your life, when he looks at my life, He wants every person committed to learning and living out the mind of Christ. He wants every one of us to be committed and be passionate about learning and living out this mind or this mindset of Christ, that attitude that is found only in and through Jesus. That's the key to unity in a church. The key is the mind. The key is the heart and the mindset in which we bring which is why he goes to verse five next. Look at verse five again with me. He says there again, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a King James Version fan, and this is how it reads, listen to this. It says, let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You ever try to stand, which is kind of a, a funny phrase there, if you will, in verse five. But if you ever tried to look at somebody and read their mind, look at your husband and your wife, maybe your best friend sitting next to you, and you're like, 
I can't read your mind. I have no idea what you're even thinking about right now. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about, what are you thinking about? Ch change the channel. Yeah, we're, we're like TVs, right? We have to change the channel. Okay, now I'm focused. You ever try to read somebody's mind? It's hard to do. But we're called to embrace this mind, this mindset. What mind is he talking about? Well, it's flowing from verses 3 and 4. Verses five, verse 5 is flowing down from 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests of his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, verse 5. You see it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can do it because you can look to Jesus. And you can watch Jesus. And so it all flows from that. It's this mindset. It's this attitude that God wants us to embrace, to have, that leads to humility. Well, how do you do that? This is not a matter of just looking at Jesus. We can read the Bible till we're blue in the face. We can read it and read it and read it and read it a hundred times and it not change our lives. Did you know that? You can come to church for 90 years, 100 years of your life, if you live that long, and it not change your life. Did you realize that? So how is it that we are to embrace the mind of Christ? Because Paul's like very clearly here saying, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, that's where Paul goes next. And the rest of these little verses in which we just read. First and foremost, if you want to understand this, and you can cannot have it apart from Christ until you follow the example of Christ. That's where he goes next. So everything that he's going to say in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 5, is going to be unpacked in verses 6 through 11 in your Bibles. Do you see it? In verses 6, 7, 8, and on down the, the line, he's going to unpack what he means by this mind of Christ in verse 5. How are we to embrace the mind of Christ? We follow the example of Christ. I, I can't have this mind, I can't have this mindset unless I exam, follow the example of Christ. Look at verse six again with me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see the example that we have in verses six, seven, and eight? Look to Jesus. If you want to understand how to embrace this, this role of being humble, this brace this role of humility when it comes to my relationship with God, but my relationship with others is to look to Jesus, yes, and then to follow the example of Jesus. Well, Jesus shows this example in three ways Paul lays out here. Verses six, seven, and eight. It's very clear to see it and understand it this morning. Jesus shows us his humility in what he's willing to, listen to this, set aside. He shows you and I humility as a church. He shows you humility as an individual. He shows you humility as a husband towards your wife or your wife towards your husband in, in, in how Jesus and what Jesus was willing to lay aside. You see that in verse six? Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus has always been God. Let me just say that on the front end. He's always been God. He is equally God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is equally and eternally God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been eternally there. He was there at creation. He was the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is totally God. He is eternally God. He is e equally God. You see that verse there in verse 6, that word form of God? It is the Greek word morphe. 
Okay, and I'm not going to get all boring on you when it comes to Greek, but it is, what it means is essence. It means being. And what he is saying here and what Paul is saying and reminding the church and what God's reminding us of is that Jesus has always been in the form of God. He has always been God. His essence and his being has always been. There has never been a time where Jesus was not God. When he walked on this earth, he was God, both internally and externally. But here is what Paul's saying. He didn't hold on to it or use it to his advantage. You ever seen someone who gets a little bit of authority or a little bit of power start to abuse it? Or they really, really want you to notice them? They really, really want you to remember them? And so they're going to do everything in order to remind you constantly of how great they are, of how good they are, of how important they are, how much money they have, how much power and authority that they have. Not so in Jesus. Do you see this in verse 6? What Jesus is doing here is he has all of the authority. He has all the power. He is in every way God. And yet, he steps from heaven down to earth to be in this life and walk this world with us. What is he doing? Jesus knew he was God, but he willfully laid aside and embraced this humanity that was placed upon him. Jesus shows us humility. It's not in what he was willing to give up. He didn't give up his deity. He took on his humanity. And he became God and man with us. Jesus shows us humility and what he was willing to lay aside, verse six. But I want you to notice, Joe, she just, he shows us his humility and what he's willing to take on. He lays that aside in verse six, but in verse seven he takes it on, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Bondservant is really what that means, being born in the likeness of men. He lays something aside, he sets it aside, but he takes it on. It says that he empties himself. He's in the form of God, but he takes on the form of a servant, the likeness of a man. He doesn't surrender his deity. Once again, he takes on and adds his humanity. He didn't just become, he didn't just come as a king. He came as a servant. He came as a slave, verse 7 tells us. He didn't just receive a crown. He receives a cross. It's the nature of servanthood. The best way I can even understand this is I think of someone who waits tables. I think of a servant, someone who is a, uh, a waiter, a waitress in a restaurant. A few years ago, my older boys were young, and I'll never forget this. We were in this restaurant, and my boys are very young, and they really got a kick out of this. Because we're in this restaurant, and this young man walks up to our table, and he looks at my young boys, and he says, Sir, what can I get you tonight? He calls my young boy, Sir. How and why? Because he was there to serve tables. He was there to serve us. My boy's got a kick out of that, by the way. The fact of the matter is, I'm not equating a waiter with Jesus Christ here. The point is, we understand what servanthood looks like. Someone became a nobody. Somebody becomes a nobody. That's what Jesus does here. He was not willing to give up, but to take on Jesus doesn't lay aside just his, his, he doesn't lay aside his deity, he takes on his humanity, which is really encouraging for you and me this morning when you think about it. Because you and I go through some things in life, don't we? 
We go through incredible suffering in our life. We go through uncertain seasons in our life. We go through seasons of disappointment and discouragement and betrayal and pain, tears, loss of life. We go through all of that because of the brokenness of this world and this earth in which we live in. Some of you this morning are on cloud nine, so to speak, but this week something may happen in your life that may be tragic. And when that tragedy occurs, it is a stark reminder of the broken world in which we live in, where there is suffering, where there is struggle, where there are tears, where there are things that happen that were unexpected. The news that we receive, someone passes away. We receive, that we, we receive news that we have this debilitating disease in our life. We lose our job. There's all kinds of things that happen in our life. But what you and I have is an advocate. We have a God who understands. We have a God who sees our life. We have a God who isn't just up in heaven, but a God who walked this earth with us, who experienced experienced betrayal, and he experienced suffering, and he experienced pain, and he experienced tears, and he experienced loss. He experienced all of those things. Jesus is not some kind of of, of beautiful creature on a throne somewhere. He is one who has come to this earth and has laid down his life for us, who walked this earth, who was mistreated, who went to the cross perfect in every way, never had a perfect thought, never had a perfect action, never had a set of word that that was misplaced, never had a thought in his mind that was sinful, and he was nailed to the cross. That's a God in which you can relate to because he walked in your footsteps. He empathizes with you. He knows your life because he created your life. You don't exist today and I don't exist today without him breathing life into me and bringing me into the world with my unique personality and your unique personalities. You think you own your, your, your small businesses and the, and the 401ks that you have, you don't. God's given you it all. He's given you your family. He's given you your life. He keeps your heart beating even as we speak. He gives you the breath in which you and I breathe and he empathizes with you when you suffer. That's the God in which we understand that we worship here. That's the God who was, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He set aside, sets aside, he takes on But watch this, where Paul goes next in verse eight. He says, Jesus shows us humility by going to the cross. That's the humility, and that's the example of humility in which we just remembered at the Lord's table. And being found, verse eight, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The very Jesus who created the tree was nailed to it. The very Jesus who created the people in which nailed him to the cross, the very God who brings every life into existence, submitted himself to the brutality of a cross. He was willing to suffer and he was willing to die. There is the journey of Jesus from heaven to earth, becoming a man who takes on this role of being a servant to death to the point of the cross. Death on the cross, humility and shame a place in which the Roman citizens themselves thought it was despicable to even talk about, shameful to even mention the issue of crucifixion. They wouldn't even talk about it. 
But understand that Jesus Christ demonstrated his love towards us. We read it a moment ago. Here it is, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. For God shows his love for us that in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful verse, which we brought to the Lord's table this morning. We remember that he went to the cross. God's plan in our lives and God's plan in your life is not to improve your education or to find your financial stability or to bring about social change in the world today. His purpose for doing all of this, verses 6, 7, and 8, taking on this humble state was to bring you to a place of your heart changing, transforming your life, transforming your mind, to bring you to a place of being self-centered, self-reliant, trying to live life on your own, trying to make decisions on your own, to turning back to a Christ who meets you where you are and you have sinned and you have been broken and I have been sinned, I have sinned and I have been broken in my life and yet all of that is to bring me to a place where I can come to the Father in heaven and worship him and know and understand that all of my sins have been taken away. All of my sins have been, have been ripped from me, and Jesus Christ looks at me, and God, God looks at me, the Father looks at me, and he says, you are holy, you are righteous, because I said so. Not because you earned it or deserved it, because I said so. That's the kind of mindset, what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we are to embrace towards each other. That kind of attitude, that kind of example, we are called to have. Jesus, listen, humbled himself so that you could humble yours. Jesus humbled himself and came down to this earth so that you could humble your mind and your heart. That's why he did it. He loves you so that you would in turn love him. I love this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, 23, and 24. What a powerful passage. You see it above my head there. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He, com he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, does, did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. What a powerful passage that we remember. What Jesus Christ did is he gave us, you and I, an example. The question is, can you? Can you follow that example? You can in Christ. That's what it says in verse 5. You can follow this example, and I can follow this example in Christ. Humility is found in Christ. Pick it up and follow Christ's example. What God wants you and I to have is this gospel-centered mindset, this gospel-centered power. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not get you across the finish line so that you can stamp your way on into heaven. It is to bring you to the end of yourself daily. And maybe that's a prayer you need to pray just as I prayed in my living room this morning alone with my God and with my Bible. Lord, bring me to the end of myself. That when I stand on that stage, that it's not me who is preaching and that people aren't listening to me, they're listening to you and your word that can transform human lives. But I gotta bring, God, you've gotta bring me to my end of myself because I really think highly of myself every day. 
in how I treat people or in how I use my time and how I use my, the resources God you've given me and the blessings that you've provided for me. Free me to the end of myself. Oh, there is a pathway to humility and it is found in Jesus Christ alone. We follow his example. And when you follow his example, you know what it's gonna lead you to? It's going to lead you to worshiping an exalted Christ. Which is why what Paul says here at the end of this passage in 9, 10, and 11 is so powerful for us. Because not only in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 2 does he say, listen, unity comes when you replace the pride in your heart with humility. Then he says in these next few verses that we just unpacked, that listen, humility is only found when you look to Jesus and you have this mind that is in Christ. And when you do this, this is why Paul goes on this anthem, if you will, of praise. Look at verse 9 in your Bibles. This anthem in which we will begin to worship an exalted Lord and he says there in verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, who? Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. All the pathway of Jesus was low, but God the Father raises him up high. So that the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. There's your end game. The end game of Jesus and what he does on the cross and from the grave is to get you to bow your knee and bow your will to the Father, to Christ himself, and that we would confess with Jesus Christ as what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We remind ourselves that the work of Jesus, the work of, versus in the work of God the Father, man gave Jesus a cross God the Father gives him a crown. Man gives Jesus a grave. The Father gives Jesus glory. Man saddles Jesus with suffering, but the Father in heaven gives him a name that is above every name. That every knee will bow, whether you believe in him on this side of heaven or not, eternity or not, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, therefore, because of this humility in verse 9, it, it is to lead, and because of his obedience, and because of his suffering, there is death. All the wrath of God is removed, as we just read a moment ago in Romans 5. The wrath of God that is poured out upon our lives is removed. Sin and death are defeated. The greatest enemies in your life are not whether you have enough money in the bank or whether you're Health is best or not good or better. It's whether you have one house, two houses, a really small house or a very large house. The, 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 the real problems in your life are not those things. Understand that the problem in your life is sin. The problem in my life is sin. The problem in our life is death. We will all die. Every time I do a funeral, I say this phrase time and time again. We will all take our turn in a room like this. We will all die, but not all of us will live again in eternity with God. Heaven awaits those whose sin and whose death have been defeated from the cross in which that righteousness have been applied to our lives. That forgiveness of sin has been applied to our lives. The reality is sin and death were defeated on the cross 
That is the end of Jesus' humility. You see that? Stop, full stop. But it's not the end of the story. There's a reason why we celebrate Easter, isn't it? It's a reason why we celebrate the resurrection. Because what the Father does here in verses 9, 10, and 11, what Paul wants to remind us of, and what God reminds us of, is that the cross is not the end of the story. But God the Father highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every single name. So the Father does two things here. He gives Jesus a high position. It literally is saying there in verse 9, highly exalted, meaning super exalted. Get the biggest billboard out you want. It's higher than that. He lifts up the son who has just put his life on the cross, who humbled himself and submitted to the will of the father, put himself on the cross. He lifts him up, highly exalts him. The father took Jesus and put him on the cross. The lowest of lows, lows in the ground. He snatches him up carries him and gives him back his glory. That's what Jesus got. He gets his glory back. You see, the son comes from heaven and walks on earth, suffers, goes to the cross, dies, is buried. The father gives Jesus his glory back and highly exalts him in verse nine, carries him up higher than ever before. He gives him a high position, but then he gives him a name. And that's our response as we worship him. That's why when we come together at Central, we do not celebrate ourselves. You with me? We celebrate the risen King, Jesus. We celebrate him. Because of all the problems in our city, and all the problems in our schools, and all the problems in our county, and all the problems in our state, and all the problems in our nation, and all the problems around the world, are met with one solution. It's Jesus Christ. And he radically changed my life and he radically changed many of your lives in the room. And he wants to radically change many of you who have not surrendered your life to Jesus. Every knee, every tongue will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. I wanna just pause for a quick moment and just say to you, listen, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, he wants you to. It's the only pathway that leads to life. It's the only pathway that leads to you being born again, forgiven for your sins, your life being changed, life beginning to make sense. It comes when you surrender your life to him and only when you surrender your life to him. We're gonna have a moment in the service at the end here for you to do just that to give your life to Jesus Christ. But I want to say to those of you in the, in the room who are Christians, if you humble yourself, if you follow the example of Jesus, here's one thing that God does. He, in his timing, will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you life. He controls everything else. If you humble yourself and you follow him, he will lift you up. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 14 says this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He's going to say this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You ever notice that? He puts himself up on a pedestal. Everybody look at me. God is a way of humbling us like nobody else. But this is what Jesus says. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. James says this in James chapter four, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Guess what he does? He will exalt you. First Peter chapter five, love this passage says this for us. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A powerful passage of scripture for us to remember. The Lord loves humility because he, got, he gets you to a place in your life where then he will exalt you when he's ready. As a teacher in our church, humble yourself. The Lord will exalt you when he's ready. Young people who are walking with Jesus, follow him. He will lift you up when he's ready. You have incredible influence over the lives of others. But he will not lift you up if you want to humble yourself. Because there's not enough room for God in you at the top. He wants to be the one who is showcased in your life. Humble yourself and the Lord will lift you up. Some of the greatest men I've ever known in the church, churches either that I've served at or grown up in, I have memories of individuals. I've met many, 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 many men over the years of ministry. And those men who served in churches that maybe my father was a part of as pastoring a church, the greatest men were not the manly men, necessarily. They were not the men who made the most money, who had the small businesses that, that loved to showcase that at times. These were men who maybe they had a small business or maybe they were faithful in just their home, but they had a heart for God. Those are the men I remember. The men who had teachable spirits, those are the men that I remember. Those who had servant hearts, those are the men who I remember, the greatest men in the churches that I've ever been a part of, the kindest men, those men who are willing to serve Jesus and others without any recognition. I just talked to men. Those are the greatest men who follow the example of Jesus, who eventually worship the exalted Christ in their life. Listen, church, humility is found in Jesus. So embrace this mindset. Embrace the mindset like Christ. Oh, you will face enemies. And they won't come in the face of individuals. It will be the enemies of pride in your life, apathy, indifference, complacency. Creeps in like gangrene in your life. Subtly takes hold of your heart, your mind, subtle thoughts. Don't let it. Crush it and kill it because you have the power to do it, not in and of yourselves, but because of the spirit of God who lives inside of you. 
crush that pride. Ask the Lord to crush that apathy, that complacency, that indifference, and ask the Lord to give you a white heart, white hot fire and passion for Jesus Christ in your life. You have it in you because of Jesus Christ. So the more Jesus Christ has you, the more your attitude will match the attitude of Christ. The more he has your mind and the affections of your heart, the more of a heart he has for you, the more your mind and your heart will change to become more like Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us on the cross. Commit to that. You'll see the Lord move powerfully in your life. You'll see the Lord move powerfully in your marriage. You'll see the Lord powerfully move in your family. We will see the Lord powerfully continue to move in our church in the days ahead. Let's embrace the mind of Christ. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Response is simply this. We'll have a few people down here at the front to pray with you if you want to come and pray. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about just committing to that. You want to just come forward and sit here on the front row and pray and talk to the Lord. Maybe you want to kneel here at the front and pray and just say, Lord, I'm, I want to be there. That's where I want to be. <coughs> Spend some time talking to the Lord. <coughs> Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about salvation in this service, giving your life to him. <clears throat> I will be here at the front. There will be others here at the front to pray with you, to receive you that, that decision that you want to make. Maybe it's to join our church, to become a member of a local church. That's God's will for you. Maybe it's God leading you to just come forward in needing prayer over someone, something in your life, a burden in your life. What is God saying to you? We just want to be and have courage in our heart toward him and respond to that. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. And then we'll stand and sing this song together and respond. God, thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would speak to us now and give us the courage to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us? Let's sing and respond. Savior, I come, I quiet my soul. Remember, redemption's him, your blood was spilled.
You can be seated this morning, and just a few very quick announcements uh, today. I want to first of all just commend you and thank you for those of you who served this past week. One of the things that we did uh, in our community this past week, our women's ministry was a part of it, is we had tacos for teachers. What we did is we covered all of the schools in Livingston on Alaska, Big Sandy, um, and we provided tacos for every one of our teachers, and we also put gospel tracts in their hands, and we tried to encourage them and just love on those teachers. So thank those of you who were a part of that uh, and delivered that and we're kind of part of the organization of all of that. Um, we did that collectively as a church, and so um, I'm so thankful for a, a small event like that. Yesterday, we had a chance to go follow up and visit some folks who came to our fall festival. We had a few good visits, and then after that, we just went out door to door, some of the, 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 those that were there, and we had some good conversations and time to pray with folks at their front doors uh, yesterday morning, so thank you those of you who came to that. We're grateful for that. Um, a couple quick events. I just want to mention this morning before we close. One is the two Christmas events coming up. One is on December the 13th. You see it there above my head, six o'clock. That's going to be in the evening. It's going to be a great time of worship together. We've got our preschool, our children's choirs, our regular worship team on stage. We've got some fun things planned for that service that night, so you're not going to want to miss it. And I want to encourage you to bring someone with you. Uh, the gospel will be shared. We'll be talking about Jesus, obviously, and so this is an opportunity this time of year to invite people to come to events like this. They'll hear the gospel. Um, otherwise, they might not come on a Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to invite a neighbor, a friend to come that particular Wednesday night. Sunday morning, uh, Christmas Eve. It will be Christmas Eve that day. We're going to have our Christmas Eve service in the morning. Our normal service at 930. We'll have a special candlelight service at the end of that service, at the end of our Sunday morning service that morning. We won't have Bible study that morning. Um, no evening activities. Right 
after the service, we'll have some refreshments and some fun things planned in the lobby for those of you who can come and stay for a few minutes um, before you head off to your families and enjoy Christmas, the rest of your Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, okay? So I want to mention those things. We've been in the middle of this, this last week, last Sunday and today, with a food drive. Thank you for those of you who've been bringing food out in the lobby over at the Children's Building. Uh, today's the last day we're providing that, but we're, we're taking those collections up. That's going to, to Center of Hope to manifest those two organizations here in town. And so a lot of good things happening, opportunities for us to serve, other things right around the corner. So um, stay tuned for that, ways we can give, ways that we can serve this holiday season, okay? Uh, don't forget, this afternoon we have a great meal. We're going to have a great fellowship meal tonight at 5 o'clock over in the Family Center. We want to encourage you to come to that. It's a potluck, so old-fashioned potluck. So bring a, bring a dish with you. We'll have a good time together of fellowship. And then right after that, we'll have a short uh, members meeting following that, uh, that meal together, okay? Um, and I think that's it. Let's all stand, and we're going to have a word of prayer. And before we leave today, let's remember we're going to give our tithes and our offerings now. And so you can give as you're leaving this morning, but we're going to have a time of prayer over those tithes and those offerings together this morning before we are dismissed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the time that we've had to remember you. Thank you for your word that has guided and directed our steps today. Um, We give these tithes to you. We give these offerings to you, and we pray that you'd multiply them. We pray that, Lord, you would use them to help us to do ministry here locally and then, Lord, around the world through us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the time we've had to worship. Bless our small groups, Lord, now as they meet. And, Lord, point us to people who need Jesus in our community this coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. So we-